You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. Let the story begin. One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 One time for the lovers, two times for the ladies, three times for the brothers, four times for the babies. Do you love her? 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 Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. Brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin, love a brown. She my brown skin, love a brown skin. Hold me down. Welcome to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast, and I'm your host Greg Ehill, the Culture Change Agent. You already know on this show we interview young, successful minorities in a variety of fields to educate, empower, and inspire our current and future generation leaders. And you already know I got a show for you today. I am excited, pumped up. Like seriously, I'm on 10 right now, as you probably can you can hear it in my voice. Because this episode, man, I believe is one of the best I've ever recorded. <laughs> I want to get a couple housekeeping things done before I go ahead and get into the introduction. So I know this introduction is long, but it deserves to be long. She is a a bulky, bulky, bulky figure in this space, man. And I want to make sure I do her justice. But first and foremost, I want to say thank you so, so much for all your support. All your support, the downloads, the listens. And please keep that same energy once we go back on LinkedIn on Facebook, on IG, doing the promotion. Keep that same energy. Let's spread this thing to the masses because this this is the season that we take things to the next level. And speaking of the next level, over the next eight months, I'm working on going on another tour. I'm working on the 10 places I want to hit for the Minority Trailblazer tour. Outside of that, I will be going to select high schools across the country. Uh, I'm not going to debut the title just yet, Matter of fact, I'm not gonna give no details just yet, but just know we're going back on road. I'm I just got a I got a new story to tell, man. Got a new story to tell, new energy, and I just can't wait to meet the folks, man. So we're gonna be letting let we're gonna be um putting out the information soon. But this time I'll wait till it's confirmed and the venues are are are, are good and we're gonna put it out, man. So I'm excited to get back on road and meet all y'all. It's been it's been almost a year. And it's time. It's definitely, definitely time. So get excited about that. Please keep me in prayers about that. You know, I'm always looking for different guests to be on the show with great stories. So you can also shoot me an email, greg at greggyhill.com as well. And what other housekeeper things I got to say? Um, nothing at the time. Also, yeah, be on the lookout 2019 for a, a platform that we can all get together. I know it's been three years since we've been doing these shows and we had thousands of downloads, have this large community, but we really don't have a place where the community can talk, uh, network, and grow together. And luckily, the people that have attended the the first tour, I see them networking and, and cross-mingling and growing together, and I love it. And I wanted to have this, this, this same energy, but in one place, and I'm working on a platform that will allow us to have uh, weekly... Me- or, 
not weekly meetups, not physical, but weekly meetups. Uh, have content that I'll be producing. That I have other friends that be producing, like people that come on the show. They'll have behind the scenes content, um, and it's going to be a phenomenal, phenomenal place. So get excited, man! Get excited! Get excited! Twenty nineteen is going to bring a brand, brand new wave. So to recap, that's a tour coming up, high school tour and my own Trailblazer tour. Also, twenty nineteen, we are. We will be debuting a platform to bring us all together and allow us to grow together with special and unique content. And what else? What else? What else? What else? I think that's all I got for right now. I think that's all I got for right now. Before I even read the intro, I want to say a couple of things. One, before I recorded this episode, this is actually the first episode I recorded during my seventh month hiatus. Like this is the first episode I recorded. So I had to do a lot more editing than usual myself. Like she was flawless. Me, I'm like, dang, boy, shut up. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of editing myself. So, yeah, I'm just going to put that out there. But it's still a phenomenal. It's, it is a phenomenal episode. And her her journey during that, she talked briefly about uh, applying to a speaking agency. And she just got accepted to one of the biggest speaking college speaking agencies in the country, in the U.S., period. So, you get to hear before she got accepted in the trials and tribulations before that. And most importantly, this interview is deep. And I'm just grateful that I have an audience that's accepting of story-based interviews. Because, I've, of course, I can give you the quick 20-minute, okay, uh, how'd you become a professional speaker? And what avenues did you use? And all these, what are the five quick tips to elevate X, Y, and Z and to write a book. And that's cool. And we always try to touch on that during our shows. So it's not just like topical or what if, but the stories that she's going to share on this podcast and the stories that have been through the last 80 plus episodes, I'm just grateful that y'all still rocking with me, man. And y'all pushing this to the forefront because at the end of the day, we all have access and availability to go get a book or to look at a webinar, do all this other stuff for our career. But having real stories that we can relate to, like going in debt, major credit card debt, being in bad relationships, um, depression, uh, so many different things that many of our people have shared, dealing with homelessness, dealing with so many different things. And this is a podcast we get to talk about it, but in a nuanced way. And I'm just glad that I have the audience base that allows us to have this platform. And that allows us to, to, to curate real conversation. And I can't wait also 2019. Should I say this live? I say it live. I'm going to be EPing or executive producing one of my own shows. going to be a video um, show. I'm going to do 10 episodes. I'm debating on the name, but it might just be the Greg Hill Show. And it's going to be like the podcast, but live video, sit down interviews, not celebrities, regular people phenomenal stories that are doing great things going to keep the same energy and candor but it's going to be kind of a mix between like oprah and what's the show they got on netflix right now they got the show on netflix got show netflix uh interview george clooney barack obama david letterman a mix between that because i've always had aspirations of hosting my own show and delivering real raw content that is not really big outside the podcasting space in uh, 2019 or late 2018, we're working on it. So for all those people with talent, as far as with producing talent, ideas for the podcast in general, 
you can always email me at greg at greggyhill.com to, to share with me your ideas and your thoughts. And maybe you can partnership and join, collab. Who knows? Because uh, I know I get email. I get people, A, loving the show, telling me how much they love it, how much it got them through. Or B, people pitching to be on the show. But I'm like, yo, it's been three years. I don't get too many ideas on how can we make things better. How can we evolve and, and some partnership stuff. So, like I said, I'm always open book. Not to say that everything that comes is going to be be taken and used, but I'm always down to grow and take things to that next level. And we're, we're past that. We passed that. Everything got to go to the next level this year and the year beforehand. And we can all do this together, man. So enough of me talking. Like I tell you, this episode, she's a speaker. She's an author. But it's way deeper than that. And I know many of you, my, my women out there, my men out there that's listening, I know y'all can relate, man. So keep your ears peeled to this. I love y'all. For the bottom of my heart, can't wait to see all y'all. And welcome to the show. Like I always do. I'm going to call it. It's going to be a legendary show. I, I just feel it in my spirit. This is a person that should have been on the show like two years ago, but we finally got her in the booth. Uh, <laughs> and I'm excited to kind of share. And plus, it, it's all everything is about time. And I think it's happening at the right time. And I can't just wear to share her story, um, the ups, the downs, and also where it's going to go. I'm going to read a snippet, snippet, snippet of the bio, and then we're going to jump right into it. So first, she inspires students to live life from the driver's seat. Vroom. That was corny, but I just want to do it. I just didn't want to hit the driver's seat. I just want to turn the thing up a little bit. I just got a new car, so you know I'm, I'm, I'm in that space right now. The award-winning keynote speaker and college success enthusiast is the author of The College Strategy, A Roadside Kit. Coaching students to max out the college experience, generate competitive advantage, and enter the interstate of life after college in that third gear. Her work with students began as a recreational summer camp counselor and expanded through numerous roles to include a cheerleading coach, private tutor, resident assistants, resident assistant, orientation team leader, college advisor, personal mentor, and college professor. Goodness gracious. I'm talking about any leadership mentor thing around kids <laughs> she has done. Uh, her passion for sharing students in the lane of success birthed the driver's seat concept. Currently, the edutainer provides content-packed and research-based empowerment program for organizations, universities, and community groups. With over 400 hours of presentation delivery, she has referred or rebooked to speak to hundreds of high school and college students. With over 400 hours of presentation delivery, she has been referred or rebooked to speak to hundreds of high school and college students, United States Army soldiers, job corps participants, and many other notable organizations, schools, and community groups. The hyperpreneur, and I'm, I mean hyperpreneur, we got edutainer. We got a lot of a lot of a lot of <laughs> phrases. I love it. I love it. I love it. She's also an adjunct professor, adjunct instructor rather, of speech communication communications at Anne and Arondo Community College and a communications professional at Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. She received a bachelor's of science degree in mass communications from Towson University and a master's of science degree in nonprofit management and association of leadership from the University of Maryland University College. In her spare time, she enjoys the company of her favorite college mentee, her sister, Mackenzie. So without further ado, I know that was a lengthy introduction, but a lengthy introduction is necessary for a queen. So without further ado, I will let you introduce <laughs> Lenny Dawson to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the thank, show. Thank you, G. I'm excited to be here. You're right. It is about timing. It is about timing. <laughs> Nah, nah, I'm more excited, but I'm happy to be here. Um, happy to be back in the booth. Like for those of you who don't know, yes. I don't know when this 
show will actually air or probably will air after a few episodes of season five. But this is like my first time in the booth in like maybe, maybe five, five months. So it feels good to be back on the mic interviewing friends and fam and, and sharing stories. You excited? Yes, I'm excited. All right, all right. So let's jump, jump, jump right in, right in. First, you know, we always try to start the show off with a quote and then how you apply that quote to your everyday life. So Lenny, just share with us a quote that you vibing with or one of your favorite quotes and explain to the viewers and the audience, viewers and audience, uh, the audience, how they can apply that quote to their everyday life or how you apply that quote to your everyday life. My quote for 2018, no good thing will he withhold from those whom walk upright. And of course, that's a scripture taken from the Bible. I am a Christian. And I just believe that when you do right, you do good by other people. Those good things come in return. So that's my theme, my anthem for the year. So I'm reminded to just do it the right way. Um, take the high road as um, former First Lady Michelle Obama suggested uh, last year. And mm-hmm. so that's my quote for the year. Got you. Got you. I'm going to go ahead and challenge you right now. So. With that being said, like, can you, can you share us a time where in your mindset, how to get through that, where you felt like you have done the right things and you worked through stuff, you took the high road and it wasn't necessarily at the like right after that things were just rosy and it didn't turn out as, as you had planned. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm trying to think which area I want to take. You <laughs> <laughs> You're in the driver's seat. <laughs> I remember. um I started coaching as a um, as the head high school cheerleading coach at Fairmont Heights High School in Prince George's County, Maryland. And I was young and I've never I wasn't I was not a cheerleader. I did not cheer competitively, mm-hmm. but I was brought onto the team because I had transferable skills as a dance instructor for a summer camp. And so I worked under the tenure of a, of a head coach for two years and then she left. So the team was passed on to me. And so I built the team from scratch. The skills that I did not know, I um. I went out and I sought training after and I would get training and bring other people in to teach them skills that I didn't know how to teach. And so when it came time to expand my team, I was uh, referred Two young women were referred to me Mm -hmm. to come in and assist me as my assistant coaches. And they were cheerleaders. So they knew a little bit more than me. They knew the aesthetics of cheerleading, the competitive cheer. They didn't necessarily know the values of running a team. Mm -hmm. And so like I do with my big heart itself, I gave them a lot of power right off the bat. And um, I allowed the students to acknowledge them as coach. Um, I gave the students their contact information. I would allow them to lead practices because I knew that I was transitioning away from the team. So I wanted them to feel, you know, empowered. Mm-hmm. Well, I remember we had a game day. We were in the playoffs and um, I was running late. I think I was coming from a church ministry meeting from choir rehearsal. I was running. Choir late. rehearsal. I always them. got cat schedules all jacked up. <laughs> <laughs> I was um so I called them. I said, "Hey, I'm running 15 minutes late. I'll be there shortly." They said, "Okay." I pulled up. There was no school bus, so I called them. It was school bus that passed me on the way, but you know, a lot of school buses pass by on Saturday. So I go inside the building. I see the athletic director, and he's like, "Um, what are you doing here? The, the bus just left." I said, "Left who?" He was like, "The bus is gone." Let me tell you, I never had steam insert come from out of my nostrils and my earlobes so fast. <laughs> so I called them. They answered the phone. They was like, hey, coach. I said, where are you? She said, well, we're um headed to the game. I said, by whose authorization? Now, mind you, I'm 24. Uh-huh. These women are like 30 something. <laughs> I said, by whose authorization? I said, have that bus driver turn that bus around at this very moment. <laughs> she was like, okay, okay. And so the bus pulls up. Now, mind you, my whole team is on the bus. So this is when you do it the right way, right? 
but I just couldn't. I let them have it with every <laughs> word I could think of. But ultimately, I was hurt because I allowed them to come in and I had empowered them with good intentions. Mm-hmm. And they kind of took that and turned it around into something that I felt was ugly and selfish. Mm-hmm. And so that was probably a time where I didn't walk up right. <laughs> And I had to go back the next day when we had practice and apologize for my behavior because I'm always a model to my students first. Would you would you um, so knowing what you know now, would you like not knowing what you know now, but just being who you are now, how would you attack this situation? Would you attack it differently or the same? I probably would have got on that bus and not said a thing mm. and waited until I had an opportunity to have them alone. Sometimes you have to delay your thoughts, kind of process it a little bit because I was upset. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could have handled it a better way if I had given myself some time to cool off. So that's what I would have done differently. Got you, got you, got you. That's that's a <laughs> that's a that's a very 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 interesting story. So um, as we jump on, I mean, everybody knows the show. We talk, like to talk about the past, the present, and the future. And I, I think the past is so important because at the end of the day, I, this, this word has been in my head. It's a regular word, but this word has been ahead. Foundation, like foundation, is so important. And, and bring it up. So we want to talk about your foundation, man, who you are, where you come from and what makes you you. Absolutely. Um, growing up, I hated my mom. Mm. I hated her because she wanted me to be perfect. So I felt mm-hmm. nothing. Average wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough that I went to school, got good grades and had good behavior. She was always pushing me to go the extra mile. And um, I remember she used to make me dress up on the first days of school and she would tell me first impressions are everything you want to be. You want to be set aside from other people. Um, I remember when she filled out my first job application. As soon as I turned 16, she said, if Starbucks calls you, this is what I put on the application. And this is what you're going to say. You need a job. You need to be working. And so um, very early, I was matured, I would say, um, by the conversations that my mom would have with me. And it positioned me and set aside my mindset to be different. Um, And ultimately, I was doing so because my mom would always say, your sister's watching you. I have a a younger sister. We're 10 years apart. Mm -hmm. And so I I would say that's that that was part of the reason that kind of birthed this whole um, having responsibility for others, wanting to serve, wanting to be set aside and wanting to be different. I would say that foundational piece came from my early childhood um, from my mom. Why do you why do you feel like your mom was so 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 hard on you you think or so hard on you to be perfect like why do you feel like that was a since was it just because of the sister or No, I think um based on the childhood that my mom had, she felt she if she had had a mom like she was um I guess demonstrating the the motherly quality she was demonstrating to me if she had had that she would have had a head start in life. And um, she wouldn't have had, you know, to start off so rough to having to have been homeless, having children early. Um, um, she always talked about promiscuity. She talks about um, just having a rough start, but finding her way in her late 20s. And she always told me, you know, you go to college and get this thing right. You don't have to do it the way that I did it. Mm. And did you have a father in your life as well? or? So my biological father was murdered when I was three. He was oh, in um, the streets. And, um, he, uh, my mom remarried when I was five mm-hmm. and I call him dad. That's my stepdad, but I do call him dad. He raised me. I was a true daddy's girl. You could not tell me that that man did not birth me. Mm-hmm. He never told me. No, I remember when I was in college, my dad lost his job and I called him and asked him for a Bessie Johnson purse and he brought it for me. Wow. 
He bought it for me. I didn't even know he wasn't working until my mom called me and told me, you need to send that bag back. You know your father <laughs> lost his job. Uh-huh. And wow. um, so it was nothing that he wouldn't give me. So, yes, I did. Got you, got you, got you. And how was how was like the middle school middle school experience and going into high school? Like, were you always were you always heavily involved? Were you just to your books? Like, what type of what type of kid were you? Well, I was bullied in middle school. Um, I was uh, I would say I had issues with esteem. I didn't see myself as attractive, and um, it wasn't until I got to high school that I started to actually see myself as uh, unique. And mm-hmm. part of that probably was because I was amongst a few women in my class who were abstaining from sex. I was still a virgin mm-hmm. until a um, few weeks before graduation. And that kind of I took that as kind of like a pride stroke, actually. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would say I didn't get to the point where I felt confident in some sense of esteem and difference until I got to high school. And at that point, I was extremely involved. I started with my high school's newspaper. Uh-huh. I was co-editor. Okay. No, and I ran my school's morning show as a morning producer. I wanted to be a journalist. That was my goal to be on Channel Five as a news anchor. Mm-hmm. And then, so so when did when did things change from uh from 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 the goal of being on Channel Five to 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 college? <laughs> it changed when I got into that <laughs> seat on that college campus, and I was the only black student in majority of my classes. And when it was time to speak up raise my hand and participate in class discussions, I noticed that my speech was horrible. I can't even mimic what it was like then. People always say, well, let me see. How did you used to speak? I can't even like, put it into, it was bad. I wish I had tapings of it. It was that bad? I could not. It was bad. I couldn't. My pronunciation was horrible. I was skipping over words. You know, it really took me being amongst other people who spoke well. That made me realize that my speech needed some improvement. And I remember I came home um, for, um, I think it was winter break. And my mom said, why are you talking like that? Why are you talking like those kids at your school? And I said, because my, I'm trying to like change my speech and I can't break away from it. Like I'm training myself. Mm-hmm. And she was like, you're doing too much. Just be regular. <laughs> um, but I had to force myself to not drop my INGs, to, to pronounce each syllable in the word. And now it comes natural, but it didn't at first. So it was, I guess, the, the fear of not being competent enough to be a journalist that kind of had me switch paths. Ah, got you, got you, got you, got you, got you. And then how would you say, because me and my brother have like a 10 year gap as well. Like, how do you how do you continue to because I know when when I was in the house, the relationship was, was really, really, really good. And then as I as I kind of got involved in college and everything else, and I was a I was only 45 minutes away. But in college, for me, 45 minutes away felt like like 10 hours. Like I never really yeah. gave him went back home or whatnot. So I know yeah. he's about to graduate high school now. But how do you and this is just for for people in the audience that may have a gap within their siblings and whatnot. Like what is some strat like where you do you feel like y'all you stayed as connected or how did how did that process play out for you well when i went off to school i was 17 and she was seven Mm -hmm. so she wasn't at the stage where she would call me you know to check on me that didn't come until later on so i would call her Mm -hmm. and when i had free time or when we had activities that i thought she would enjoy i would ask my mom to bring her down so she had been on the campus she was very familiar everybody knew she was my sister she would spend the night and everything and um, now she's in college and her first few weeks, I would call her and now she calls me. We talk at least every if not every day, definitely every other day. Mm-hmm. And so um, and the irony is when I was in high school, my mom used to make me bring her everywhere. And I hated that. Even on my first date, 
She said, if your sister can't go, you can't go. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Your sister went on your first date? Yes, my (laughs) first date. What? My my, my mom is off the chain. Yes, she said, if your sister can't go, you can't go. So she she was with us. We were at Applebee's. And she was with us eating, too. He brought her (laughs) mail, too. (laughs) Oh, man. So I hated the fact that I had to trail her along, but it made us close because then we didn't want to be separate. Mm-hmm. When we got to the point where she had an option of going or staying, she said, I want to come. I want to go with you. And so that's kind of how um, I think it was initially it was forced and then it kind of became the norm. I got you. Um, <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Um, I want to <laughs> I want to jump back to one thing, one one critical thing before we move forward. And we talk about self esteem because it, it it's crazy that a lot of us um struggle with self esteem growing up. Just the culture we live in in America, uh, that you it's in certain schools and certain things you're gonna you're always gonna question yourself. And then you know what they have mm-hmm. as beauty online and on TV, etc. But the crazy thing is, a, a lot of us continue to hold those things on even to adulthood like it's a lot of That's times true. it doesn't even even stop so i do want to share what's your what's your what's your take because i know you do i know you you speak to a lot of audience multi-colors um male female whatever but i know some of your your, your audiences that you love to talk to and then you combine the most with is as is, is women so when yeah. you attack the self-esteem how do you how do you how do you typically attack it knowing that sometimes we're all still growing in that that, that self-love space Mm-hmm. I would say I always remind students that your esteem doesn't come from your your outside. It comes from the internal gifts that you've been given. And so if you have issues with identifying what makes you different and unique, what are you good at? You know, what have other people identified or asked you? How do you do that? And can you teach me? Because when you are when you have this uniqueness or these attributes that no one can duplicate, that is where you feel most valued. And so, like, if you do hair, if you can lay tracks, if you can braid hair, um, that stuff is rooted in your esteem. Like, oh, she lays the best tracks or, oh, he cuts the best hair or and he has the best hot sausage and popsicle business out his back. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and so what is it that you're good at? Cultivate that and that um, in, in exchange will increase your, your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. On the flip side, it's those people who struggle with identity and low self-esteem who have not identified what makes them different or unique, or what makes them valuable. Like what, what do they bring to the table? Those are the people who still struggle even as adults with, am I good enough or am I attractive? Cause they haven't found it yet. Um, and what I tell most of those women is you, you got to get involved in some things. We can't be a consumer of social media, of businesses, of shopping, of media. You have to learn to create things because that's actually where you develop um, kind of like what you're good at. You have to start getting involved where you create things. Does that make sense? No, I think I think that does make sense because I, I would because you answered the question right. I was about to ans- ask that a lot of times I see students or just in general people, not even students, like people in general is like, well, I don't I don't necessarily know what I'm good at. And then it's mm-hmm. like, well, the only way you're going to find out outside of just a lot of deep self-evaluation and asking your peers is by getting actively involved in certain different things yes. and then finding your good. And there's some other strategies, but I think that's the that's one of the easiest strategies. Just try yep. a lot of different things and then start seeing what's resonating, what's not. But another question yep. I want to ask, because I, I, I think there's two things Um, and I just... <clears throat> came about this over the last couple of months, but I also think for, for my, and this is just for my business owners and entrepreneurs out there as well about this, this self-esteem in businesses, I think too. Cause I mean, you can have self-esteem personally, but sometimes 
self-esteem in business like say if you have a setback say if you have a change mm-hmm. or whatnot like knowing from what you know now kind of what you experienced the last couple of years like how how can you strengthen your self-esteem within this business space oh my god it's so hard if i could just be honest it's yeah. hard and you know what i never thought about that it can be different or stand as your uh, individual personal esteem can stand aside from the esteem and confidence that you have in your business. But you're absolutely right because I encountered those thoughts this week as I'm undergoing a rebrand, sitting here trying to think of concepts and words. And I feel like I'm pulling out straws from a hat and I'm like, but you're good at this. Like, and I started to question if, if I'm actually good enough um, to undergo this change and pull it off. Um, so you're right about that. It is standalone and it is unique. But in those times, um, I just reminded of the times that I did. Every time I've been called back for referrals or rebookings, I was just referred for an event in Long Island. And I think about the lives and the impact that I've had on students. And that's my reminder that I am good enough. So I always tell um, people who may struggle in this area, look at the root of your work. Like, What is the fruit of your labor? Yeah. The people that you've been connected to and the impact that you had. And that is enough steam. That should be enough steam to keep going. Got you, man. So we're going to dig a little deep into that later in the show. But now let's transition to, okay, you graduated from college. And let's get into that early 20s, that mid-20s space. Like, you're still in the, you're still in the mid. I mean, I'm not going to put you out there, but you're still, we're still in the 20s space. But let's talk about <laughs> the early to mid-20s space. Uh, because, I mean, I, I've been getting a lot of feedback from the viewers. And they love they love the podcast. They love the topics. and uh, But I, I realize a lot of their biggest struggles comes from a lot of the mental things they're facing and, and challenges they're facing in their early to mid-20s. So I definitely want to talk talk thoroughly about that show. But first, shit, what does this mean? What's your first job out of college? My first job was at the University System of Maryland. Mm-hmm. And um, actually, when I graduated, I had four job offers. I okay. was very intentional about applying. I was studying how to find a job, how to write a cover letter, how to write a resume, and how to interview. I studied that in a library um, for several weeks. And then I went out and I just started applying like crazy. And as a result of that, four job offers came. I chose the University System of Maryland because... Um, the work that I would be doing would be most connected to students of all the other positions. And it was the best decision I ever made. In fact, I do believe it was a guy's divine assignment because the extension to my phone number was the last digits of my social security. <laughs> and it was just good place. And I was just like, this is, it was just amazing. So while I was at the university system of Maryland, I was overseeing the state had got this large grant and they wanted to promote uh, college preparation starting at the elementary school at sixth grade. Mm-hmm. And the research stated that if you get students mind engaged and their thoughts involved in college early, that they'd be more likely to attend and or increase their chances of graduating. And so the, the state only had statistics. So they hired me to basically brand it. So I was not only the face of the campaign, but I created all the marketing materials and all the presentations. And so I would go out on behalf of the university system. I had been to every middle school in the state of Maryland. Wow. Um, uh, putting all these miles on my car, but I was doing <laughs> back to school nights, um, college and career readiness seminars. I did graduation speeches. I was just for four years. I was just speaking. And Are you serious? Aqu- I didn't know. Yes. That. I didn't even know this. <laughs> and um, um, someone had approached me. It was a woman. She was she was having an event in Prince William County for young women. She said, "I want you to come to my event. I want you to speak. Do you speak on anything else?" And I laughed. I said, no, you know, you want me to speak about college? Because, you know, that's what I speak about. And she said, you should really consider, 
you should consider that. And so that was the first time I heard it. The second time was from a guy. And I, and I think I've mentioned this story to you before. But um, he was he happened to be speaking also at an event where mm-hmm. I was sharing at a college career night. And afterwards, I guess he had watched the presentation that I gave. And he said, um, I want to have lunch because um, I, I got some ideas. I want to run past you. So we sat down. We had lunch like the next week. And he came with a notebook and he said to me, have you ever thought about speaking like, you know, as a thing, as your thing? And mm-hmm. I said, no. He said, as a result of seeing you today, you need to be you that it, you you missing something. And so I said, OK. And he opened that notebook and he had an actual plan of how I could get started. Wow. And he had some conferences. Our first conference was this uh, Prince William County Student Leadership Conference. And he just plugged me right in. He said, I got a photographer. I got a website guy. What, what, what you need money? You need money? Um, and I, I laughed. And at the time, you know, I didn't think I was I was 21 when I had that conversation with him. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first thought was that I was too young to have a message that people would buy into. Yeah. Um, and uh, my second thought was just I was scared. Yeah. And but I um, he was so adamant. It was he made it really hard for me to not pursue it. <laughs> said, well, he said, well, just come on on this event. I'll plug you in. We can get you some pictures. We're going to get you some business cards. I remember I went to Staples, got my first business cards. They were horrible. Mm-hmm. And um, we went to that event and we killed it. And I loved how it felt. It felt like it felt uh, rewarding. It felt fulfilling. It felt like that's where I was supposed to be as a result of that conference. Mm-hmm. And from there, that's how it started. That's exactly how I started. That was how I started as an official speaker. Wow, that's 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 crazy. And then I guess jumping from so the over those four years, you were getting so many reps, so many reps, so many reps. What did you what did you, trans, what did you transition to after uh, after those four years? So I um, after the four years, I uh, transitioned to this is when I transitioned to Wamada, mm-hmm. and it was interesting because I was at the point in my business where I was I was walking a little differently. As a matter of fact, I wasn't walking at all. I had just come from out of a really bad breakup mm-hmm. that caused me to move back home. My finances were jacked up. I didn't have any extra money to put the, to throw into my business. And for a moment, it was very idle. Um, and um, so I was just working for about almost two years. And um, I had um, I ran into one of my middle school mentors who actually helped me through my self-esteem issues in eighth grade. And he asked him, what have you been up to? Let's grab lunch. And I had lunch with him. And he said, you know, I'm so proud of you. I want you to come and speak to my girls. And I I burst out in tears. And I said, you know, thank you for being proud of me. But I am going through turmoil right now. I am not in a stage to even empower anybody. And he says, um, he said to me, "Um, would you be open to my coaching? And I said, absolutely. And he said, we're going to meet once a month. You bring your Bible. And he basically coached me through depression. Mm-hmm. I learned scriptures. He taught me how to self-reflect, to journal. Uh, I started budgeting. I picked up another side gig. I was working three jobs to pay off the amount of debt that I had um, built up as a result of that relationship. And um, I remember one day he asked me, he said, so are you going to get are you going to get back in the game? And he was referring to speaking. And I mm-hmm. said, absolutely. And um, I remember I called my the photographer that I use. His name is Jay. I moved $600 from my savings account to my checking account. And I said, hey, I want to get started with some new headshots and some um, videography. It was definitely a faith move because I needed that money. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I remember I showed up, my makeup was dry, my I had just cut my hair off. I looked crazy. <laughs> um, those photos are so hideous. Um, not, not his work, but yeah. me as a person. I just yeah, look yeah. Crazy. Make sure you cover that. He gonna listen to this podcast like what? <laughs> <laughs> no, his work was great, but me, like how I look, I just uh-huh. wasn't my best. But it was just my way of saying, just get back in and just try. And um and so that was in 2016, and I have not turned back since. Yeah. So question though. So a couple questions. One, why do you use the transition from working like in a in a when you're when you're facing students, you're doing that to a career where it's kind of not not as student facing. Like, how did it kind of drift off into into that space? Because I mean, I needed the money. Mm-hmm. Where I was working, it was fun. I was having a good time. But I wasn't making enough money to sustain um, all of the debt that I had created. And the opportunity came that basically doubled my salary and some. Well, you, and well, so well, I, I mean, it. not to get too personal, but like, did you, you just got another car? Like, what, what, what changed? Like, yes, I financed the car. I, so I had two cars. Oh. I had um, 11 credit accounts. And um, I was, we were living in a space that was really nice. But we couldn't afford it. Uh. It was it was way it was it was it was basically and this is why I am so opposed of portraying a life on social media that does not exist. Because if you had saw our photos then you would not have thought what was happening on the you you couldn't have even imagined that that would have been the case. Mm-hmm. And so um it looked like Hollywood on the outside, but on the inside it was I can't even describe it. It was no place I want to go back to. So yes, I had I had a lot more bills than money, mm-hmm. and so I I transitioned to a more lucrative um, role, and um, that's why I left the education. and And look here it is. I just went ahead and went back. <laughs> and it, so, what was your mm-hmm. first couple steps after you realized that okay, this 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 is not this is not working. If I keep going down this road, this this road is not going to end well. Um. I was unhappy and consumed in things that I shouldn't have been. And I was looking at the amount of money that was coming in. It was no way I should have been living the way that I was. When I say that, I mean minimally mm-hmm. based on the amount of money that I had. And I wanted to make a change. And so I decided to move back home and that was tough. It was a, it was a big ego. Um, oh my God, it was a big ego stride. Um, it was tough. I remember I moved back. I jumped all my stuff in my bedroom and I just burst into tears. And my sister came in. She said, what's wrong? I said, I just can't believe I'm back home. I'm too old to be home. Mm-hmm. And um, she wrapped her arms around me and she was like, it's okay. It's okay. And so I would say um, it was moving back home was my opportunity to reset. Because if I had not been able to go back home, I would not have been able to save enough money to position the brand in the way that it has been positioned now. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't have been able to invest in um, um, a branding manager, a business coach. It was I was in no position to do those things. So I kind of had to sacrifice um, my lifestyle to uh, build the business. And um, I would say what got me back to education was, you know, I was working the night shift. I wrote my book, The College Strategy, on the night shift. I used to work 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. Goodness gracious. I still don't know how you did that. And let me tell you, I had sometimes I would have gigs at 8 a.m. And I would stay awake. I would go to the gym for an hour and a half, kill it, go home, beat my face and show <laughs> up 
at 8 a.m. and ready. And when I get up there, you would never know I had never been to sleep. So some days were 24 hour days. And I guess as a result of having to do that for so long after I had paid off a lot of that debt, mm-hmm. um, for interview professor role, they hired me on the spot. Wow. Like, can you can you teach this? Can you teach this semester? Like, cause it was July. She said, can you start in August? And I had a contract already that I was working on for another side. I always got a side hustle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, I said, I can't start in August, but I can start in January. And I guess uh, seeing that I was still a value to that community, that's kind of what kind of, I guess, um, I guess prompted the desire to get back into the education space. Got you, got you, got you. I, I, I yeah, that's that's critical. And it's crazy that you say all this because it's like I was uh, I was reading Kevin Hart's book and there was a there was a there was a stage. And this was after, like, he had kind of blew up in a certain sense. Like, he had had some stuff on NBC. He had Soul Plane. Even though Soul Plane was a disaster, he still made some good money from it. <laughs> he got exposure from it. He was on, and it, yeah. and it was, um, it was, he had, he had a kid. He's had first child. And he was on stage and he was, this was laughing my pain or something. One of his first second, his first or second one. And he mm-hmm. killed it. Like, he killed it. But in the book, it shows the alternate version where he killed it. But at the end, out stage, he 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 said like his life was in disarray. Like I mean, he was drunk. He was all he was, he was always drinking. Him and his wife, and they were fighting. There was a lot of domestic violence. Um, they were going through divorce because they shouldn't have got married in the first place. That's what he said. I'm not saying that, but he, he shouldn't got married in the first place. And there was a lot of stuff behind it. And I say all that to say is because. I will say for anybody that's in the public face, public figure space, not just in speakers, but in politicians or mm-hmm. just anybody that has to, 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 or that aspires to live a public life in this space is that you still have, like, you still have to be strong even when, or not, not, I wouldn't say strong. I don't know how to even pose these words because it's, it's still a battle even for myself because even when you go through stuff, you still got to show, like, that's when I realized that I was a professional and even, even when I was like <laughs> going through stuff. And yep. when the clock came on, you still was yep. able to, to, to go and get it. However, yep. it's a weird mental thing though, because it's like, you're still able to produce at a high level and people are encouraged, but in your head, you're like, because you still got to go back home. You still got to get yep. in the car. And it's like, yep. am I living a lot? Like, hold up. Like, sometimes I always mm-hmm. used to think like, hold up. Uh, like, because, but just because that's my profession doesn't mean that. I'm all like I always have to be the most motivational exactly. guy, but it's, it's yep. still a struggle. I think that's a struggle that a lot it of people is. face. It is, and I think with, it can create um just happiness, and it's it's a lot of hard work to remain um on top of your game and be happy, like in a happy place. It takes a lot of reflection, a lot of just being in good company and good space. Um, it's hard work. It is very difficult being in public eye. Yes. But I just think, in general, just to get on the happiness piece, uh, this is just what I've seen, what I've witnessed myself, what I've seen from others over the last couple years. Like I'm 28 right now, um, and I believe ever since like 20, like 20, 20 to 24 was like everything for me in my space. It was like happy go lucky time, whatever for the most part. But then around 24, 28, all the conversations I had, I felt like we were all a lot of my friends. We had great conversations. We were moving forward and a lot of stuff, but I still feel in a sense like we were kind of searching for happiness in certain things. But I used to always think like, why, why are we, why am I searching for happiness? Like what? Like this, we're doing some of the stuff that I, I wanted to do. We're doing, we're doing things. We're moving forward. But then I had to like redefine happiness because sometimes 
what society has, what its happiness is, and what your family has what happiness is, and then yeah. kind of what you what you think that happiness is is not not necessarily what it what it what it really is. Like, all right, let me uh, let me get real. Like, so say for instance, if happiness is me is having a family or having a relationship. So if I don't have those things right now, am I striving for happiness? Is that a way to live? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think that's necessarily the case. So how how, how do you define happiness right now? And then how is your de- and, and and the better question, the bigger question is how has your definition of happiness changed over the last few years? Oh my goodness! I just had this conversation with my mom because she asked me because I have been on a sabbatical for for the last three months, two months. She asked me, "Is everything okay? Because you seem different. You don't seem happy." And I said to her, um, no, she said, if you could change anything, would you change anything? Or is there something that you don't have that you wish you had? And I said, I would love to have a family. I would love to be dating. I would love to be, um, you know, in a committed relationship. I want kids. I want to be on my own. I would, I'm supposed to be in my house by now. Mm -hmm. And she said to me, um, you know, just wait your turn, wait your time. It's a, it's just a timing thing and not to rush it. And so um, as a result of that conversation with her, I had to reflect, am I happy? Am I happy? And I think that, um, when I think about what those things would bring, that doesn't create happiness. Honestly, that creates more responsibility and more <laughs> habit, <laughs> more habit and more energy. <laughs> it does. So, and that's how I know that it's the societal It's not how I personally feel. the pressure's that I get from people in my church family and my family, even my dad, when am I going to have grandkids? It's those pressures that I think create the illusion that I'm not happy. But when I really think about the success that I've had and um, how far I've come and that's kind of where I get in the space where, okay, you, you better be happy. You got a lot to be happy about. Mm-hmm. And so I have to be intentional, honestly, about creating my happiness. Cause I have those moments where I feel, I feel sad. Cause I feel like I'm missing something. I do. I do. So it's it's very intentional for me. And I think that's I think that's something that we all could take from it just in general. And I, it's crazy you say that. Um, I think we had I think I talked about this when last time we talked. But even when um, I was I was giving this I was talking I was doing a workshop. But I told the kids like you have to be intentional about your happiness because I feel like just when you wake up we're a lot of us a lot of us are intentional about okay at least going to work or doing something and then intentional about eating there's a lot of stuff we are intentional about doing but happiness kind of never really comes into the equation not like our That's own true. not us thinking okay what makes us happy i'm talking about because if we don't think about it a lot of times we'll go through whole weeks in outside of like food and maybe like a sh- a tv show like real stuff that you can like meditate mm-hmm. on that makes you feel forward it makes you feel like you're moving store stuff if we yep. even had to think about it many of us couldn't even probably write down on a list what genuinely makes us happy yep and and it's and it's such a and it's such, especially in your in your twenties is such a critical place to be in because if not you can be be looking down a lot of the blessings that are right in front of you like you said like there's so much stuff even myself like I've been shoot by the time this does airs it'll probably be like five months and it, there was a moment that I there was some 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 stuff that was going on that I had to just work through it was tough mentally stuff but outside that was mm-hmm. but that was like a month month and a half but even that was I, I wasn't looking at the big picture. I was looking at the, I, I, no, I was looking too much at the big picture, not at like what was in front of me. Like I said, yo, I've never, it's crazy that some people may think, but outside of like one gig last year, this year was the first time that 
I've spoken multiple times to colleges like this. This is this is getting paid to do it. Like I've been speaking to college, but getting paid like regular professional rate and then have multi gig contracts in the, the win of like proposal with the state with one of my boys. There's a lot of stuff that yeah. that, that that really happened and transpired. But I wasn't thinking about that. I was thinking about. Oh man! So next year I'm about to pay for this healthcare, and I'm, I'm I'm thinking about the most stuff that I ain't never thought about in my life, and that's mm-hmm. altering my whole mood. But then yep. I'll be real. I, I I look at the news and I see, and and this is a, a crush, but it's real though. Like people that are are dying too soon, like yeah. people that are that are, and even people that are, are are older that are that have passed away. I'm like, yo, what what is really important right now? Because I say when I when I when when my time is called. I really want to make sure that I, I I utilize every moment, not just moments mm-hmm. when I'm when I have a family, not just moments when I'm 36 or 40 when I'm watching Grant. Like no, like what about the moments that that I'm I'm struggling to to build something? That's yep. that's, that's a good moment. I want because I mean when you yep. get it, then it's like hold up, it's it's a whole different experience. So I'm it just. Is. Mm-hmm. And you're right. I would say the 20s is a little, is more difficult because that's when we really start to branch out from your original group of friends mm-hmm. and they start to have families or children or they start to excel in their career, sometimes more faster than you, depending on what you study. Sometimes they move away. They're getting promotions. And if depending on where you are and what space you're in, they could be going in spirituality. You may feel less than or or you may feel like they're moving a little faster than you. Um, I feel like that happens. That is when you start to question like. You know, am I in a good space? Am I happy? Am I just doing a good job? Am I on the right path? And it does take intentionality of the, the people that you're surrounded by and the things that you consume. Um, that's why that social media thing, man, you gotta stop scrolling. Sometimes uh-huh. you just gotta be in the moment. If you keep scrolling all day, yeah, you won't be in position to be unhappy. And <laughs> <sad>. <laughs> you are. <laughs> I mean, it just it's just the fact because I mean, from a worldly perspective, I don't care who you are. When you when you go on this online space, there's always going to be somebody that's somewhere that you're not, somebody that has True. something to join. I don't care. This is not. Yes. I mean, I'm talking about even Drake probably go in and like, hold up, look at this billionaire on the yacht, and the billionaires probably yes. looking at they're looking at yes. us. It's crazy. Like the billion look at us. Like, oh, they can go to the they can go to the mall without having being noticed. Like this is so yes. like it's it's everything. Like, oh man, you hit it on the head. You got it. That's a point. I don't know what the point's gonna look like on a speech, but you got to hit that because. <laughs> You go like you go on online. You're going to find something to to to, yep. to tell you you're not where you need to be, or you're not yep. this. And sometimes you're behind ain't where you need to be, but but, <laughs> but but most of the time, like we we be tripping over Ooh. stuff, and it's like hold up, man. Like this is this is this is this is what you call the deal. You got to make the most of it, and I, I I'm glad that you hit on that. So let's let's talk about this though. What what played into your role of of rebranding like when did you feel that you had to rebrand the reason why i pose this question is because you are in the middle of um rebranding your your profile online and a lot of other different things but for our audience and our listeners out there and whether it's changing career because i know a lot of people that are uh, in in a weird space where they're four or five years into their career doing something they don't want to do so they want to change into another career so they're trying to rebrand their career some people Mm -hmm. are trying to rebrand the way they approach relationships like shoot i'm 28 i'm like yo this is i'm I'm approaching relationships the wrong way i need to rebrand that (laughs) some people trying to some people trying to rebrand their whole uh the fitness piece like there's a lot of people trying to rebrand certain aspects of their life so kind of walk us through not just from a business perspective but from just a holistic perspective when you talk about rebranding because as you've seen you've made tremendous strides since 2015 2016 okay getting 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 the finances back right getting stability back right 
hitting stages, killing it, but then you still wanted to rebrand. So walk us through that whole process and in, in your mindset of why, um, how, and then doing it. When I hired my business coach in January, he looked at my profiles and all of what I've been doing. And oh, let me back up for a second. I'm back all the way up. I applied for um, a speaker's agency and um, I got a call from the speaker's agency, the founder. I guess you can call him CEO. He called me and um, he said, um, I had a chance to look at your application. You made it to the final round. And this is a very competitive process. They were only taking 10 people. They had over 100 applications. He said, you make it to the finals round, but you're not quite ready. Out of a 10, I'll give you about an eight. And here's some things I want you to change. You're too churchy um, and not every audience is going to respond to that. Some people are going to be offended by some of the things that you say. And not saying that you can't express your spirituality, but you got to find another way to do it. Mm-hmm. He said, your messages are too cliche and generalized. There's nothing about you that makes you unique or different. And I can find so many other people who are doing what you're doing and definitely they aren't getting paid for it. And definitely not the amount of money that we would be asking for from the universities to pay you. So he basically called me a generalist mm-hmm. and a church girl. Mm-hmm. But he said I was a phenomenal speaker. Now, that conversation did two things for me. One, I was offended because I said <laughs> to myself, why in the world should I have to suppress my spirituality just to get just to get, I guess, be favorable amongst other people? That was the first question that I had. And then two, maybe I am a generalist. There is nothing. There's nothing. What I'm saying, there's nothing that I'm saying that has not already been said before. So it was a challenge for me to really, really stop and, I guess, process what exactly was the message that I was sharing and how can I be unique in my own space. And that was in 2016, the end half. And so I did a rebrand. 2017, I did it. I thought it was good. (laughs) (laughs) Now, it did position me to get more paid gigs mm-hmm. when I did position it this time and I targeted women and I changed the look, um, the imagery. I changed some of my keynotes. I kept some of the same content and um, it was good. And um, I wrote the book that year as well. And that also kind of, you know, it created a little um, vagueness because although I was targeting women, my book is for both genders. And so people would ask me, well, do you speak to girls? Do you only speak to girls about this? Or And so, okay, there was, a, um, I guess, some confusing parts there. So when I hired my brand, so fast forward, so when I hired my, my um, business coach in January, he said to me, your, um, your stuff is cute, <laughs> but it's not marketable. Mm. There, you got some loopholes that you're missing. He said, you're a great speaker. I wouldn't take that away from you. I know if I gave you a microphone and a topic, you would kill it, but your content needs more value. And he walked me through how to do that. Um, and he said to me, you don't technically have a brand. You have an image. You have a great online image, but you don't have a brand. A brand is how you, it's basically if someone can sum up what you talk about in one word. And when you leave the stage, they remember that one word. That's your brand. You don't have that. And um, he basically said, I want to position you so that you do. Mm-hmm. And that's why I rebranded. And I'll say this for somebody who is looking to rebrand their professional track or their career. Um, the hardest part was. We believe sometimes what we're doing because it is getting results that is good enough. The change is uncomfortable. 
And when I had to sit down and rethink through some of my keynotes and look through this research, I'm like, again, I started to have those questions and those doubts because I was in an uncomfortable space. And, um, but I just know I've been designed for this work. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, I, I would put money, I would take all the money out of my savings account that I say, put it on the table because I know God has designed me for this. And, um, one thing that I, I will not leave on the table is not being signed by an agency. Even if I don't, even if I sign with them and don't use them, it's just the fact that I, you, I'm good enough to be on your damn lineup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, so I'm like, without, by any means necessary, I'm going to prove it so that, you, so that I am chosen and I get to choose if I'm a sign or not. That's kind of like the mental space that I am. So maybe it's a mental war for me. <laughs> nah, but I think, I mean, you hit on a couple, a couple, a couple great things right there. And I always kind of go back to it. And I have to tell myself this sometimes is that, uh, even, so say NBA players like LeBron, like any NBA player, any, and if any top elite athlete, every summer, majority of the, the elite athletes, not just like the average one, but majority of elite athletes during the summer, in order to get better, they hire trainers. And these are some of the best athletes in the world. But they hire trainers to get better, to critique certain parts of the game, to see what they the strengths of the game and then build off their strengths in order to become a more complete player. And that's even like, let's say, the best player in the world, LeBron James, the best player. And I, even though I'm a KD fan, I, I would say KD is a better player, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, even Michael <laughs> Jordan, like all these guys, they have trainers that they don't just 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 kill their games, but they make their games more complete. So I definitely yeah. think in any space you're in, and even if you can't afford to get a necessarily a business coach, like find you can, but you can you can ask and put yourself out there. You can find coaches, yep. like you can find people. That's this, yep. that's not a hard part. Like finding people that are trying to give experience. Like if you say that, if you are complaining about not finding people, that means you're not trying hard enough. You're not searching hard enough. Like there's there's yep. a lot of people, I agree. In, yeah, thousands of people in different industries, whatever that can give advice as long as you're willing and you're putting the grind to go seek it but i def um having that coachability but what allows you or what how have you grown in accepting feedback because i think a lot of us um not even just in entrepreneur space but just in life space accepting feedback is a hard thing to do uh-huh. and i know you probably now are way better said feedback maybe in the past but how did you like so okay when the first guy said okay you need to do x x and x and then now you have a coach that's saying okay we like this you need to do x x and x like how, how? What's your mindset on accepting feedback and then uh, and then making those changes? So there were some things that they mentioned that I didn't feel needed to be changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say I take I take some I take some I don't consume all. Mm-hmm. I think some people when they're looking for um, you know feedback or criticism from other people they consume all of it. Um, and I would say t- take the areas that you need. Take the area because there were some things they touched on. And I said you know what I'm gonna leave that one right where it is. I just feel in my spirit that that's how it's supposed to be. Um, but yeah, feedback is hard, especially true, genuine. Not that I'm proud of you. You're doing great. Keep it up. You're killing it. Um, no, I'm talking about the difficult stuff, the stuff that actually hurts your feelings. Um, I just learned to be appreciative because it's really hard to find authentic people who will actually take the time to really evaluate where you are and give you enough and um, are qualified. I guess, direction. Yes, they yeah. give you enough direction to do so. And so I try to, uh, I guess, see it from that perspective. I'm just grateful for one. And then two, I, re- I respect the um, the talent that you have enough to pour into me in that way. Nah, that's, 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 that's huge. That's huge. That's huge. And when can we expect to kind of see the rollout of everything? 
July 1st. I'm rolling it all out July 1st. I'm excited. Let me tell you, this rebranding stuff is expensive, man. <laughs> oh my God. But, um, Cause what do you, what all are you rebranding? Like for in your, in your instance, in your essence, everything, everything, my target audience, what my brand looks like, the images, the colors, the logo, the website, all of my marketing materials, postcards, business cards, my pamphlets, eventually the cover of my book, my tabling materials. When I go out and vent, everything, my standing bander, everything. Wow. Everything. Yes. Yes. Everything. Hmm. That's... And um, I'll tell you how, because one thing I, I've, I think I've been um, really fortunate was I really maximized my time. And I know people say, you know, well, if you spend more time in side hustles and your full time job, you really don't have time for your business. And to some degree, the timing does take away from my time. But it has allowed me to be in a position where I can do these things. And so I use my side hustle money solely for my brand. So, for example, I teach at a homeschool twice, once a week. Um, it's $100 a day. They pay you in $700 increments. Well, I sent that money directly to my graphic designer for my invoice for my deposit. Same thing with my websites. When I teach, I'm teaching an online course. All that money just goes to the business. And so I always say, you know, be grateful for the opportunities that you have and maximize them. It's a sacrifice, yes, um, but you got to look at the overall picture. Yeah, nah, and I think. I think this time thing also gets misconstrued as well because a lot of people, when they say, okay, I want to quit my job and focus full time on this entrepreneurship thing, it's uh, or just in general, even if it's an entrepreneur, whether it's a B, I want to be a professional basketball player, I want to be a singer, whatever, it sounds good until you actually do it. And you're not, and you're, you're not disciplined or have the knowledge on how to effectively utilize that time in that space. Yeah. So it's like, okay, you want to, full-time or uh, with the basketball thing or being a singer okay how are you going to fill this this nine hour gap now or now you have 24 hours in a day to do this how are you going to fill this gap like how what what exactly are you going to do and not for the first week what about the second week what about the third week what about the second month what about the third month what about the fourth month and a lot of us don't really and even myself i didn't think about it It was like okay i had a lot of stuff to do first first few months but it's like hold up about seven months in, okay, what do you have to do on an everyday basis? Like, what is, what's, what's your schedule this week? What's your schedule next week? And not to say you have to have the whole future planned out, but if you say, oh, I'm going to utilize all this time and your time is still inefficient, you was better off doing <laughs> doing the full-time boy and then using your off time, building a thing. Like, there were certain times. It's true. Even to this day, I'm like, hold up. Even when I had a full-time job, I was just as productive outside of I having, I, I, I didn't have the affordability to say take off a Tuesday and go speak for an hour like I could that's one of the things I couldn't do but outside of like mm-hmm. the actual speaking gigs all the other stuff I was still I was cranking out more podcasts I was cranking out more I was blogging that's when I was still writing so I was blogging doing all this other stuff so I think there's a big misnomer in time and we gotta us we have to be really official and be real with ourselves when we think about time and then uh, make sure that we have the qualified people that can ha- help us with the schedule in order to max, uh, to, to really maximize it. Yep. I totally agree. So totally- as we go into, before we get to the culture change round or rapid fire round, I want to, I want to say, what is, what do you want your lasting legacy to be? Hmm. Oddly enough, whenever I go to a funeral and I was in one, I went to one last month. I always think about if there were, if that were me lying there, the people that would come, what would they say about the impact that I've had on their lives? And who would really show up? Who would take off from work? Who would travel down to where I was being buried to celebrate my life? And what would their energies be? Oddly enough, I, I think about that often when I attend funerals. 
And my thought process was, I hope that they would be, um, I hope that they would be so just touched by the time that I've invested in the money and the energy, the wisdom that I've shared, however I've helped them in any kind of way, any capacity, um, that they would show up and just be grateful that God designed somebody to share um, themselves with them. So I would say, ultimately, I would like my legacy to be that people would be um, just grateful that God designed helpmates and I happen to be one of them that impacted their lives. Ultimately, I want that to be my legacy. I do. I love that. I love that. I love that. And um, there's a question that I always typically ask in the middle that I just forgot. And it's a real critical question I want to ask before we go into the rapid fire culture change um, round is. And I, dang, I usually ask it at the beginning. G, what you slipping, G? Um, if you can, if you can think about, uh, one of your more difficult situations that you had in life and think about what you learned from it. Um, and you can prose it as what you learned from it or pose it as if you think about the situation and you had an opportunity to talk to yourself, knowing what you know now about that situation. Like, what would you say to yourself? Because I always want to kind of level the playing field because everybody that's been on the show in every situation ain't the same. Like some some have some deep like, whoa, but this is a troubling or or, or a trial that you have overcame and then the lessons learned from that. Um, Since I shared the issue, um, the the event that happened with the breakup and how that affected me as a person, I'm going to share this one that happened on my college campus. Mm -hmm. Um. I was a resident assistant. I was on my first year. I was working with a team of 12 RAs, and most of them were senior RAs. And I was in my first year. I had about 90 residents, and I was a darn good RA. And I could tell so by the relationships that I had created with them. And um, when it came time for my evaluation, my supervisor sat me down, and I was I was on the borderline because I had made myself a black sheet. Mm-hmm. I was very... Um, opinionated and expressive in staff meetings. I would come off aggressive and share my opinion. (laughs) And Uh when I didn't agree, I made it very clear, especially if I felt like your leadership was um, not leadership worthy, like, you know, not, it just was difficult for me to follow. And I would, I would shy away from sharing that. And he sat me down and he said, you know, you're a great RA, but unfortunately we won't be hiring you to come back. And I asked him why. And he said, you're not a team player. And I heard at the moment because that was about $9,000 off my tuition that I and my mom were very excited to have. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, she said, if you really want that job, you fight for it. If you feel like you deserve that job. Why don't you go to his supervisor and explain to them the situation? I said, well, I was wrong because I, I did exhibit behavior that was not professional in hindsight. And I could have handled things differently. And she said, you say that. You have a meeting and you say that you admit to your wrongs and see if there's a possibility that a decision can be turned around. So I scheduled a meeting with his supervisor. First, I scheduled one with him and I explained to him, you know, you know, we sat down, we had the evaluation. And I hear your feedback, but I said, I stayed in my story and he he heard me and he said, well, my decision remains. So I went to his supervisor. Her name was Lisa. I sat down with her and I'm sure he told her I was coming and she listened to me and she said the decision remains. I went to her supervisor. I went to Lisa's supervisor. It was a guy. I can't remember his name. He sat me down. He heard me. 
And he said, the decision remains the same. And I walked out of there and I was in tears. I was embarrassed, one, because I knew I was a better person. Um, I knew I deserved the opportunity to continue and I knew I was good at what I did. Um, and I was embarrassed, too, because those who had been rehired, I knew they weren't as good as me. Mm-hmm. They weren't good at relationship building. They weren't good at programming, um, but they were good at team building. They were good amongst the team. They were cohesive and understanding. They could express their indifferences professionally, and that's what distinguished them from me. And what that taught me was, one, um, everybody doesn't have to hear your opinion. And if you have something to say, there's a way to express your indifference. And um, that was a big lesson for me. And when I joined the Alumni Association Board, I was um, afforded the opportunity to do the commencement speak at Towson, commencement speech at Towson. And I ran into Lisa. She was Greg's boss. Greg was my supervisor. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, you know, the experience that I had at Towson was probably the most impactful life lesson that I've learned. And thank you for that. Thank you for not giving me that job. Um, it taught me something. And um, I would say that that was probably I, I'm glad I had that lesson early because if I had continued the behavior that I had, you know, the angry black woman syndrome, <laughs> um, opinionated. And if I had continued that, there were a lot of doors that probably would not have opened for me. Um, and I think that came with maturity, spiritual maturity and then just personal maturity as well. Nah, that's a. Uh... Well, first of all, I appreciate you for sharing that. And for everything you've shared this far in this interview, I mean, it's been I, I, it's refreshing and, and, and it's real. And I know it's just difficult, specifically when you could continue to try and you know that your performance is not the issue. It's it's other things. And mm-hmm. it's hard to sometimes just take a step back and to really assess that. And then, yeah. and, and, and then and then to make those changes sometimes, though, and. I don't know. I, I, I'm going to talk about it probably more in depth on another podcast. But sometimes, even though you go through that situation, it's hard in the future when you get in certain situations to kind of to, to have that same level of grit because you remember that past failure. Like there's something about shame of failure. Like even once yeah. you're through with it, the shame. Yeah. And, and like say, for instance, if next time there's something. OK, say if you are being a, a, a team player, you're doing what you need to do and say if you didn't get a proposal or a contract. And then instead of you actually fighting for going to somebody else to continue to go and you're like, I remember the last time and yeah. you've changed, but you're yeah. still kind of afraid because of what yep. happened last time. Yep, it's true. Those and you mentioned this earlier, some of the experiences that we encounter in our early 20s as a child, they don't go away. Um, they're either uh, they're built upon. They don't go away. They exist. And that is in the back of my mind um, when I'm forming teams and leading teams. It was on the back of my mind when I was coaching. That's probably why I was so open to having them. I, uh, let me try it a different way. Let me mm-hmm. be open and mm-hmm. you know, accepting. So, yeah. It's just so difficult. And I guess we just have to continue to learn. And we'll learn. It's like if we have a, if we're talking 10 years, our, our, our thoughts may be <laughs> strategically different. But it's just like, <laughs> You just learn to kind of, you got to grow with it because you said they don't go away. Those scars are yep. still scars. Yes, they are. And it's, I think sometimes we over, like you did, we overcompensate for that scars too. It's like, yeah. okay, I got even myself. Like I know I've, I've, I'm one of the most riskiest guys. If anybody's read my book, I, I take so many risks. I've taken, yes, so, taken so many risks. <laughs> and then I took a, I took a risk with this conference where I was putting it together and I had to postpone it, but I, I threw thousands of dollars in it and have, and then, Think about the deposits. You know, if you don't have it in the same day, in the day you have to, that's just all money gone. 
And even though we've moved past that situation, I think I talked to you about last week, there's still some scars with that. It's like, dang, like you've been risking stuff your whole life. And like, dang, you, you, anytime you, you, it's like the small, like the risk that majority of risks work out, but then like the big risks, I always end up coming slightly short. So then it's like, well, dang, am I going to make that big risk again? And then, so now I'm still bidding on, okay, we still are, we made that risk. We do have that scar. Now, how can we, how can we continue to move forward with it? Still with, with that scar in it, because it does play, it, it does play in consideration on how you move going forward. So that's something I know I got to grow in, but, um, it's just, that's just life, right? Yeah, it is. That's your battle mark. You better be proud of that. You're going to be marked up, but when you get to that finish line, the marks aren't going to move just as much as they did when you encountered them. That's your battle. It sounds good. We'll see. <laughs> yeah, I, I love it though. I love it. So, all right, we're gonna we're gonna we got this our last session, and we got five um, rapid fire questions, uh, and and you can answer the uh, the if rap, five rapid fire questions, and hopefully we get five rapid fire answers. You ready? Okay. Uh, what is the best piece of advice that you have never received? I recently got it too. Um, so this guy told me who has a trucking business. He said, um, "Don't build your business on your personal credit." But you need personal credit to establish business credit. So go in and take out a um, business credit line with a small company like Staples or Target. Build your business credit so that you don't have to rely on your personal credit when you need a business loan. Mm. I got that about four weeks ago. Mm, you dropped some jewels on myself and some others out there. So, yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. I love that. I love that. Add one habit and take away one habit. What would they be? I wish I could add the habit of waking up at 6 a.m. naturally, um, forcing myself to do work. And the habit that I would take away, I would take away um, mm, feeling like I have to buy a new outfit every time I go and speak. <laughs> you buy a new outfit every time sometimes for the like 75 percent of the time yes and it's a habit that i really man you must got a lot of gear do you give away some gear oh absolutely i give it away to college students to young professionals because yes. you be you be crazy fly i i, I, I don't i don't understand that's, that's, that's a that's a lot of gear that's a lot of fly gear and i'm the opposite i i feel like I'm, I'm, I'm recycling the same three, three looks every single time. You know what you're going to get. It's going to be that blazer boy. It's going to be the navy boy. It's going to be the gray boy. That's it. I'm not, you're not getting no more looks. Same color combos. I might change the tie, but, uh. <laughs> I need to get like you. I do. And I'm working on that. As a matter of fact, I'm going to work on that in 2018. Hmm. I am. We shall see. <laughs> what is your? What would you say is your favorite uh, movie, movie, and why? Ooh. Movie or book? I love. Um, okay, I'll give you my movie. Double Jeopardy was my favorite movie. It's like a nineties movie. Oh yeah, and that junk is so cunning. Huh? Yeah, that junk is a thriller. I love the. Uh, I just didn't expect for that. Or. For her to still be living, like how in the world did you do that? I was—I guess I was impressed with the just the suspense of the movie that I remembered it for all these years. Um, so that's my favorite movie. My favorite book is *The Compound Effect* by Darren Hardy, and mm. uh, it was gifted to me um, right at that stage when I was coming out of depression. 
And it basically talks about how small habits can compound into big outcomes. And, um, yeah, that's my book. I always refer it when people ask me for a good read. Mm, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Uh, what is your biggest fear? My biggest fear is giving, letting go of what I've built thus far. Because um, when I let it go in 2014, because I was consumed with basically life, I never thought, I never thought it would amount to this. I never thought I would be on stages of universities. I never thought universities would be calling me. I never thought I'd have a book. I never thought I'd sell over 200 copies of my book. I never thought I'd have a book launch the way that I did. It was amazing. It was perfect. It's probably the best word to describe it. So my biggest fear is just getting into that same space I was in in 2014 where I just let it go. Mm. That's my fear. And then the last question of this round is, if you were the president of the United States, what do you think is the first thing you would do? Oh, I'm changing the school system. Mm-hmm. I can't think about anything else, but I want to, um, I want to, I would like to change the way teachers are taught to teach. Um, experiential learning should be the core of the curriculum, social skills, um, the need for students to be expressive and for that to be um, added into the curriculum for career exploration to happen in a more um, very engaging way, not just in theory, like on paper or examples of people. I mean, like actually exposing kids to what those roles look like very early. I'm going straight for the school system. So y'all can make me president if you want to. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So that's the end of the culture change round. And we have two more questions left and then we have a wrap with the show. Um, So before I get into the last question, I did have one question that, um, that I always ask, and if you you walk into this room, right, and you walk into the room, and the person beside you, or not the person that's sitting down in, in, in the desk, is actually um, you at nineteen years old, right? Knowing what you know now, what would you tell to yourself, a nineteen year old Lenita? Don't be so feisty. If things aren't going your way, that's normal. The best way to influence people is not to push them. You influence them um, by exhibiting good character traits and exhibiting to them the same way that you would want to be influenced. I will, I will also tell myself, stop being so aggressive. And... and um, and um, I probably would say it's okay to have some scars. Mm. It's okay to have some scars. Yeah, that, that would really be actually a very deep conversation if I walked in on my 19-year-old self at a desk. Mm. Yeah. I think, dang, I'm a, I'm a, I've, I've added, I added something in a workshop the other week that went, it went way left. It got first of all, it was probably way too deep that I was even qualified to be in the room. It was it was just a lot, but it was good for the students. I think I want to add some. I want to add this into one of another one of my workshops, but I got I want to add some other layer question to kind of get some stuff out of it. But that's a it's that's interesting, and I think a lot of people would if, if we reflect more on st- stuff like that, would be able to kind of just 
um, be able to kind of see kind of where we were and kind of be like, cool, but also to see kind of where we, where we want to make changes as well. But, um, my last question, the final question, everybody that comes on this podcast, I call a culture change agent. And this last question precise directly over that. If you could change one thing about society, most specifically the African American culture, what would it be and why? I would change the examples that are portrayed in the images that um, women are only sexy when they have a fat butt and a large chest and big lips and Mm. that they're only sexy when they have a certain complexion that are free of blemishes and free of stretch marks and eczema and the perception that um, and this this false reality that in order for a man to be attractive, he has to be um, thuggish and uh, um, just comfortable in the streets. Um, um, very masculine where he can't wear paint and can't show his emotions to his family and loved ones publicly. I would change, I would start there. I really would because it really bothers me um, when I see college students and I visit these college campuses, especially HBCUs, and students are beat down. I mean, you would have thought they were going to a photo shoot. And there's this, there's this like, like I have to be or I have to look like the images that I see in order for me to be accepted. I would start there. Nah, that's real. That's real. And I appreciate, appreciate your sentiments on that. And it's, 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 it's sad, but it's also encouraging in a sense where we have the sad part is that society has such a major control over a lot of, of what we see as far as beauty and whatnot and the scars it has on all of us, even as we, as you date, as you see, okay, who can be a potential helpmate, whether it's just there's so much, so much noise in that space. And sometimes like you, sometimes it's hard to you even feel like who you really like or, or what yep. do you really like? Because it's like you've, in your mind, it's like, shoot, I, I was, I was with Jay-Z when he's talking about, I'm, I'm winning now. We got light skin chicks. So I'm on light skin chicks. And, it's, and then some people like this. And I'm like, so why do you like light skin chicks? Well, I don't know, G. It's like, hold up, what? So this is a lot. And then there's certain types. And it's like, okay, I need natural. I need this. It's like, it's just, mm-hmm. instead of just liking people for who they are, it's like, yep. Is because I mean, in the, the day, and I, I have to force myself to think about this, and I, I don't want to take this to a drastic extent, but it is true. We're all really just skin and bones, right? Like we, some of us yeah. have some some thicker skin. Some of us had just just we're really just bones. Like we're we're we're, we're dying on a daily basis for the most part. So. Yeah, I definitely do agree with that. But I think the 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 optimistic or the great thing about it is. For the most part, we have a, a, a very great generation of, uh, of talented, uh, of women and men that are, that yes. are moving forward and that are hopefully yes. res- reshaping these norms. You feel me? Um, and yes, I think I totally agree. as long as we continue at, at, a, at a younger age, I mean, just, just doing this and not letting just Drake's women's anthem power what we think nice for what like oh, come on bro i mean I, I, and i'm a drake fan but it's like just, it, but but it's like i love i love the song i love the video but it's like hold up man these are like like there's there's so many other um, uh, women that are not in hollywood that are that are in corporate that are in um just mothers and it's not even on no career type stuff just good people and i think if we can continue to push good people to the front i think the world can make change because there's good business people there's good business people that are not good people um, that we, that we, yeah. I want to identify with, we want to do all this other stuff. But at the end of the day, 
when you leave this earth, though, uh, of course you can leave something to your family. You don't, you, you would try to abstain from people having to do a GoFundMe for your funeral, but you're not going to take none of that with you. It ain't like, like, like you're not. So I think the value, and I think if we can come back to a culture where we really value people, not value what they can bring to us, not value what they can give to us, what they can provide, but yeah. we can just value people for who they are. I mean, I think that culture, that culture right there is exciting. As we conclude, as we conclude, um, can you share with us, share with us where you're, where can we find you on social media? Where can we hit you up? Where we can keep in touch? Where we can keep, um, stay, stay, stay on tap to what you got planned next. Awesome. So I'm on every, um, social media outlet, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Lanita Holston, L-I-N-N-I-T-A-H-O-S-T-E-N. You can find me online at uh, LanitaHolston.com. Or take the driver's seat.com. Either or, those are all my handles. And you can email me at info at lanitahosting.com or info at take the driver's seat.com. And I'm very responsive. Um, so shoot me an email if you have questions. If I can help you in any way, um, I'll make myself a resource. Amen, amen, amen. Everybody, we got that. It will be in the show notes. So find a minority trailblazing nation. And from my, from the bottom of my heart, I would like to thank you so, so much for giving me well over an hour of your time on the comeback episode, man. I really appreciate it. Yes, I'm excited to have joined you and thank you for making this platform for others and empowering and inspire them. And you inspire me and um, I'm glad that we were able to connect. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. So, my note of trouble is in this. You already know what to do. You already know what to do. I need to do two things. It's two things only. One, make sure you leave a review on the podcast. And two, change the freaking culture. Good night. <laughs>